please take your Bibles out and turn to Psalm 42. I'll try to get all my notes together. So the last, I think, seven weeks now, we've been talking about the topic of hope. And today is going to be our last sermon on the subject of hope. Uh, what we've been doing, we've come at it from a couple different angles. We've talked primarily about sort of the objective content. What are those things that we as believers may be hoping in and hoping for? The things that we have to look forward to, things like the new creation and our glorified bodies and the returning of Jesus. We spent a couple weeks talking about the power and the fruit that hope bears in our lives and what a difference it makes when we have this hope. Uh, but particularly as we think about those, the, we can't avoid the question of, of what do we do then when we feel like we do not have hope. If you remember way back, we, we sort of made this distinction that we use the word hope in different ways. We can use it to talk about the things that we are hoping for, that those are our hope. And that's sort of the objective hope. That's the way we've been using it most of this time. But uh, today I want to talk about sort of the subjective sense. Right? Hope is not just what is out there that we're looking forward to. It's also a feeling that we have right, in our hearts and our souls that uh, is sort of a deep feeling. And even though we've said many times that our hope is secure, right? our hope never changes, subjectively, we know that our hope does change, right? The, the, the feeling of hope, the sense of hope that we have in our hearts, it, it ebbs and it flows, it waxes and wanes, and there are times when we feel very optimistic and very hopeful and very encouraged, and there are times when we feel very hopeless. And so I'm going to read for us uh, Psalm 42. It's important to address this side of hope as well, and I want to do it by reading Psalm 42, and we're going to look particularly at verse 5, uh, but the whole psalm is really good for us. So let me ask if you're able, would you please join me in standing for the reading of God's holy word today from Psalm 42. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me continually, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God, with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me, and therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me, while they say to me continually, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? 
why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Let's pray to the Lord. Father, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful that you have given us this uh, reservoir of prayers and songs that we might address you with, these words that we can make our own to, to pray them back to you. We're thankful for this particular psalm, the way it speaks to us. We pray now that you would use it. Lord, open our eyes that we might truly uh, understand it and appreciate it. Allow it deep into our hearts. Lord, that we might uh, receive it as your word and soften our wills. Lord, that we might be changed by time spent reading and meditating and praying over your holy and errant word. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. So today we want to talk about our feeling of hope. We've said so many things about our objective hope, the things that we look forward to, our Christian hope, uh, but it's important to see that, you know, even though the Bible talks a lot about that, it talks a lot about what we have to look forward to, it might be even more that it talks about hope as something that is subjective to us, right? Hope as this feeling that we feel, and sometimes we're very hopeful, and sometimes we're not, And I think uh, one of the ways that we build up our subjective sense of hope is by looking forward to this objective hope, right? To to be thinking and studying and and actually drawing our eyes to look forward to these things that the Bible says we have to look forward to as believers. And the more we look on them, hopefully that, that helps us internally with our subjective sense of hope, right? This actual sense of anticipation and, and therefore, right, we have to have this subjective hope. We have to have some of that hope if it's going to do its work, right? If it's going to bear the fruit of hope that we've talked about the last couple weeks. So I want to look at at two things from this psalm today. First, to simply ask the question, why do we lose hope? Why do we sometimes lose our hope? We know the reality. Even as believers, we are subject to these ebbs and flows of our hope. Why is that? And then the second thing to see is that this psalm encourages us how to use the gospel to renew our hope. So how, how and why do we lose it? And then how can we use the gospel to renew our hope? So first of all, let, let's just ask the question, how and why do we sometimes lose our hope? We know this reality, right? We can talk about it, that, the, that we know our hope, even as believers, our hope in the Lord, our sense, right? Our internal feeling of hope is not always the same, but it, it comes and goes. It waxes and wanes, it ebbs and it flows. Uh, we've been saying the last couple of weeks that hope is a powerful thing. And that's true. But it's not always a consistent thing. It's powerful, but, but sometimes we know that, that we lose our hope. We don't always feel hopeful. We're not always internally encouraged and, and buoyed up by this powerful hope that there is better things that the Lord has waiting for us. Right? And when we lose that, then, then where's the power to endure going to come from? Because we said hope leads to endurance. We said hope leads to purity. So where's our, our motivation and our desire to pursue purity in our walk with God going to come from if our internal sense of hope is not there? We all lose hope from time to time. For some people, it might be only occasionally and only a a shallow sort of thing. For others, it happens regularly. And it's a deep-seated sense of 
of despair, that you do not have this hope in your own heart. Either way, whether it's regular and you feel like it's a fact of life for you, or it's just occasional, and you kind of know what I'm talking about, either way, we need to have a strategy in place for what to do when we feel hopeless. What? Why do we lose hope? Here's several different reasons why I think we can lose hope at different times of life. Sometimes we lose hope because the difficulties of life are simply so overwhelming that they cause us to lose our hope. So think of Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a prophet and he wrote the book of Lamentations. And the entire book is dedicated to lamenting this one particular uh, exhaustive hardship that the Lord has allowed Jerusalem to be destroyed. And he says, Lamentations 3.18 says, My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say, my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. Jeremiah is just recounting on behalf of the entire nation what life feels like sometimes. My endurance has perished. I don't know what happiness is. My, my hope from the Lord has perished, all because the circumstances of life are simply so overwhelming and they're simply weighing so heavily on him that his hope is lost. Think of Job. There's no more uh, programmatic sufferer in the Bible than Job. He suffered so acutely and he despaired. Job 14.19 says, As the waters wear away the stones, the torrents wash away the soil of the earth, so you destroy the hope of man. That is a hopeless verse. That is a, a hopeless verse to say that the painful circumstances of his life have simply been so overwhelming that they're like water, which slowly but surely washes away a stone And it's like God in his life has slowly but surely worn him down so that he has no hope left. That's a tough verse. It's a tough verse, but it's a verse that I'm glad is there. We need to know that that the Bible does not shy away from addressing and discussing this kind of sorrow and despair and hopelessness. Sometimes in those moments when you are feeling like that, it's nice to know that you can open the Bible and find a companion for you in the darkness. It's nice to know, in fact, that the Bible will go so far as it, it gives you words to pray when you feel that deep sense of despair. Because it knows all about it. It's, it's recording for us that other saints have gone through that. And we know the reason for Job. He had simply suffered these difficult... That doesn't even seem like enough, right? These very uh, trying circumstances of his life the, the hardships that the Lord put him through uh, because he was a righteous man, right? It wasn't because of his sin, but the Lord was, it was trying him and he had lost hope. So that's one reason we lose our hope is simply because life is hard and you don't need to have a deeper reason than that. Right? Here we have two examples and there's plenty more of saints in the Bible who lose hope because life is just really hard sometimes. But then sometimes we have to admit that, that we lose hope because we set our hopes on the wrong things and then they let us down. So Psalm 33:17 says, the war horse is a false hope for salvation for all its great might it cannot rescue. Right? There are things such as false hopes that we set our hopes on something and it, it's a false hope. We, 
It cannot save us. Right? Psalm 27.1, Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. So it's possible to stay awake in vain because your hope is not set on the Lord. Now, I think, again, we recognize, we know what this is like. Right? This is not foreign to our experience. Um, and to some degree, you know, here, there's nothing noble in this. Right? We recognize that sometimes we share in the blame when we lose hope. Not always. Jeremiah did not. Job did not. Sometimes life was just difficult. Here, we recognize that, that we share in the blame for this. We've set our hopes on something and it has let us down. But it doesn't matter. The outcome is still the same. We feel hopeless. We feel despair. Our hope is gone. That can happen in all sorts of ways, right? It can happen in very trivial things. We set our hopes on some small pleasure that we're looking forward to and it ends up not panning out and we feel sad. We feel a bit hopeless. It can happen in deeply rooted ways. 1991, Madonna was quoted in Vanity Fair saying, my drive in life is from this horrible fear of being mediocre. And that's always pushing me, pushing me. Because even though I've become somebody, I still have to prove that I'm somebody. My struggle has never ended, and it probably never will. That was 1991. She, she had that sense of awareness and, and ability to uh, simply state what was true. A lot of us might feel that way. Right? We see it so clearly, she says, she is looking for hope in fame and approval and expects that that will give her meaning in life. Right? That's what drives her. That's what pushes her forward, that fear of being mediocre. She has set her hope on success. Right? We might not articulate it quite as clearly as she does. Not many people have that kind of self-awareness. But that is a hope that drives many people, and that is a hope that will always let you down. It was, if it was letting Madonna down, and we know how famous she is, we can be sure it will let us down as well. We, have, we set our hopes on the wrong things. Sometimes, this one is tougher, we have to admit the reality of our own sin can cause our hope to vanish. Psalm forty twelve. For evils have encompassed me beyond number, my iniquities have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head, my heart fails me. There are times when it is our own sin that leads us away from the light and it leads us into the darkness. And even though, again, this is an example of one of the times where we know that we are to blame. Right? We're not blameless in this one. But that doesn't make the loss of hope any easier to bear. It can make it harder to bear. Because now not only have we lost our hope, but, it, but we know it's our fault. And we're to blame for it. And then again, sometimes we simply lose hope and we don't even know why. Have you ever experienced that? Sometimes we lose hope and we don't even know why we've lost hope. Sometimes we just feel a sense of deep despair, a deep hopelessness, and we can't put our finger on the cause. We can't articulate it because we don't know what it is. I think of Psalm 13, one of many psalms that simply cries out, How long, O Lord? And it doesn't state what he's in despair about. Simply says, how long, O Lord? There are many psalms that cry out to the Lord for relief and the specific reason is not given. And God has given us those psalms to use because sometimes it doesn't even matter what the reason is, does it? 
Hope is gone. We're suffering. We're in despair. In this particular psalm that we're looking at in Psalm 42, three times, and and I I say three, I'm counting Psalm 43. Psalm 42 and Psalm 43 are kind of uh, like they go together. They go together. Um, And three times between them, the psalmist poses the question to himself, why are you downcast, O my soul? He's asking. He doesn't know. And he doesn't have a reason. He's asking. He's trying to interrogate his own heart and saying, why? Why have I lost hope? Why am I so downcast? You know, sometimes the reason's not given because we don't know the reason. And it doesn't matter. We don't need to know the reason. We don't need to know the reason. Hope has been lost. And we read the psalm. You heard some of the, the things that the psalmist is saying here. It doesn't pull any punches about how terrible it is, right? Psalm 42, um, verse 3. My tears have been my food day and night. This is a, a dark night of the soul where hope is lost And he doesn't necessarily know why he goes through different things. There's different hard circumstances in life. There's different good circumstances in life. And he he recounts several of each in this song. But it's important to know that when we feel that way, the Bible gives us examples of what to say. The Bible doesn't leave us in this hopeless sense. In fact, uh, look at verse 9. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Here the Bible is actually giving you words to use when you need to express that emotion to God. Are are we sometimes almost afraid to pray a prayer like that? We feel like that's not very holy. That's not very sanctified. If I were a good Christian, I wouldn't be feeling this way. And if I were closer to God and maybe I had a more regular walk with God, I I would have gotten over this by now. I wouldn't need to be crying out like this. Well, the Bible doesn't feel that way. And the sons of Korah who wrote this psalm, they didn't feel that way. The Lord who inspired this psalm to be written and given to us for our use apparently didn't feel that way. He said sometimes you need to pray that to the Lord. And God is not afraid for you to express those kinds of emotions. To say... Why have you forgotten me? Why do I go about mourning all day long? And to seek the Lord even in the midst of that. See, that psalm does not assume that you can diagnose yourself. And that's okay. Cry out to the Lord, why have you forgotten me? Where is my hope? Why is it gone? Why are tears my food day and night while there are those who are continually saying to me, where is your God? Right? There are those who will tell you, if you were holier you wouldn't be feeling that way. Where is your God? And he simply turns it around and gives it to the Lord and says, this is what I'm dealing with. These are the counselors and the friends he has. But this is the feeling we get. We know what it's like when hope is lost. We have no internal reservoir of hope that buoys us up in the midst of difficulties. There's no light at the end of the tunnel to keep the hardships of life in a proper perspective so that you can walk through them without being uh, broken down. There's, there's no hope that, that cheers your face, right? that can give you endurance and brightens your countenance. And I think it's important to know that at times like that, it's not on you, it's not your responsibility to be able to parse out 
all the, the feelings of your heart and to know all the wanderings of your soul and to be able to, to put them all in order before you go to the Lord. Sometimes we simply cry out, How long, O Lord? And we know that we are in this miry pit and we cry out to the Lord to rescue us. But here's why I turn to Psalm 42 today. Psalm 42 not only describes the reality of what it feels like when our hope is lost, but it also shows us a certain strategy. What can we do at a time like that? What can we do? How can we move forward? It's not... I will say it's not the only strategy. The Bible doesn't just give one, but it is a strategy that the Scripture uses to help us. And so I want us to see also that this psalm gives some gospel help for renewing your hope. Gospel help for renewing your hope. So if we all know the reality of what it is to be hopeless, if we know that our hope ebbs and flows, what do we do when it has ebbed what do we do? And, and there's two things. First, we need to know the solution, but we also need to use the solution. Right? We need to know it, and we need to be able to use it. So look at Psalm 42.5. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. You hear that verse 11 is identical, and Psalm 43, verse 5 is identical as well. This is like the refrain of the psalm. Right? It's like the chorus of a song that gets repeated. This is the chorus of this psalm. And it's, it's simple, but I think that it's also quite profound. When I say it's simple, I don't mean it's simplistic. I don't mean it's trite. It's, it's simply simple. But it's very deep at the same time. This verse has... Uh, the questions, why are you so downcast? It has the solution, hope in God. And then it gives this statement of confidence at the end, I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. So the solution, here it is, it's, it's very simple, hope in God. When you have lost hope, hope in God. Now, it almost sounds too simple, perhaps, to be helpful or too simple to be true. Uh, it's simple, but like I said, I think it's also pretty profound. So in one sense, this gives us something of the diagnosis, doesn't it? This gives us some kind of diagnosis. If the solution is to hope in God, then that confirms something we said earlier, that it's possible that our, hope, our hearts have been hoping in the wrong thing. Right? Our hopes have been set on something other than God. Because now the psalm is encouraging us to tell our hearts, hope in God. Look again to the Lord. And here's what is often so hard about this, is that this is often a, a sneaky reality here. Oftentimes, I think in life, we don't know what our heart is hoping in unless or until that thing gets taken away. Right? We don't necessarily know with, with real confidence where our hope is unless and until that thing gets taken away and the ugly truth begins to reveal itself. Right? We might say, I feel pious when I say, listen, I am hoping in God. But when the rubber really meets the road, the reality is our hearts are capable of, of leaning on any number of other sources of comfort and hope. And a lot of times, what a lot of people do is they take the idea of hoping in God 
And it's like they want to keep that in their back pocket. They want to have it for when they need it. But until that's the only thing left, the reality is they're going to be hoping in something else. Now, if that other thing fails them, they want to have God left to hope in. But that's not their primary place to look for help. So, for instance, maybe deep down, a person is really hoping in money. And they're trusting, right? Their heart gains comfort from the fact that, you know what? If everything goes south, I'll be okay because I've got enough in the bank. I'll be okay. My family will be okay. My kids will be okay, regardless of what happens in life, because we've got some money in the bank, and that will take care of us, right? And so that's their hope. And it's only when that money is lost that they are forced to come face-to-face with the question, will I still be okay? And how do I know? Where is my hope? What am I looking for? Do I have the faith that, that I can trust that my family and myself are still okay even without any money? Because our hope is in the goodness of God. Our hope is in the provision of God. Our hope is that he is our father and we are his children and he loves us. And if he so provides for the birds of the air and the flowers of the field, he'll certainly provide for us as well. But until the money is lost, we're never forced to come face to face with the question of where truly is our hope. Now, so there's, there's two dangers to this, hoping in the wrong thing. Two dangers of hoping in the wrong thing. The first danger is the obvious one, is that it, it will eventually, inevitably, let you down. You hope in the wrong thing, it will inevitably let you down. But the second danger is maybe even worse. The second danger is that it might not let you down until it's too late. It might not let you down until it's too late and your heart is so wrapped up in the cares of this world. Your heart is so used to looking to that wrong thing for hope that you simply have spent your whole life hoping in the wrong thing. You've never experienced the joy of hoping in God. And therefore, we should recognize that it's actually good for us if God and his merciful providences will take away those false hopes sooner rather than later. And if he does not allow us to continue walking down that wrong road of putting our hope in the war horse, which is a false hope for salvation, whatever that horse may be for you. See, it's good when the Lord takes those away and he says, hope in God instead. That's a far better thing for your life. That will be a far more merciful providence for you. So here's the solution. It's, it's as simple as this, hope in God. Right? Trust in God. It's another way of saying it. Hoping in God requires that particular faith that God is good even in the midst of our hardships. And we have to be able to reassure our hearts with that particular hope. God is still enough. Isn't that what it is to hope in God? To say regardless of what else happens in life, to have God is to have enough. Regardless of what else happens in life, I'm still okay because the Lord will never leave me nor forsake me. And that is enough. That's what it is to hope in something. To say, whatever happens, I'm okay because of this. And if I have the Lord, I have enough. Now, we need to, have, we need to know the solution, and that's the solution. But we also need to use the solution. right? It's not enough to, to get your medicine from the pharmacy. You have to take it. So how do we take this medicine? How do we use this solution? 
And I think the, the answer is, again, verse 5 is meant to be our example. Verse 5 is the psalmist having a conversation with himself. It's like he's actually preaching this reality to his own heart. Heart, why are you so downcast? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my Savior and my God. He's preaching to himself. He's telling his own heart to hope in God. Right? He's having this inner conversation with himself. We all do that. John Piper, he says, hoping in God does not come naturally to sinners like us. We must preach it to ourselves. We must preach it diligently and forcefully or we will give way to a downcast and disquieted spirit. See, this is not just the the solution. This is the strategy. That like the psalm, we also must say this to our hearts on a regular basis, preaching to ourselves, self, hope in God. Self, you're not hoping in God right now and that's why you're feeling downcast. Hope in the Lord. And so he's preaching to himself. Hope in God. Now, preaching to yourself, talking to yourself might sound weird to talk to yourself, but don't worry, it's not. Most of us do it every day anyway, don't we? Don't we have this little internal dialogue that's running throughout the course of the day that we're constantly talking to ourselves about things? There's actually been a a good bit of academic research that's been done on how we can use our internal monologue, right? This kind of, this idea of self-talk that we're, we're always talking to ourselves. And the question is, how can we use that then for the better rather than using it for the worse? We're doing it all the time. For example, if you have a, even if it's a small conflict or a fight with your wife or with your husband or you, maybe with a boss or with a friend, don't you do this where you know, you've left the, the scene but you're still going over it in your mind. You're playing it back. And you're drawing conclusions about what the other person must really feel or what they must really think. If this is what they said, they must really think this, right? And we take everything to its extreme conclusion because this is what we do, right? We're having this inner monologue with ourselves. We're, we're playing it out. And we get to the end and we basically assume the other person is just simply a terrible person because of what they've done to us, right? We've taken it just as far as we can take it with our inner monologue. That's what it does, right? Our inner dialogue with ourself, it doesn't just uh, express our emotions. It transforms them. It shapes them. For better or for worse. So that inner monologue, you can take just a tiny bit of frustration in life, that inner, inner monologue will water it and feed it until it grows up into full-fledged resentment. But it can work the other way. It can also take just the tiniest spark of faith and hope, and it can hold on to that, and it can water that, and it can feed that until it grows up into a full-fledged gospel hope. Right, your inner monologue can, can it can go for worse and it can also be used for better. And what the psalmist is saying here, he's saying, take control, right? Preach to yourself good gospel truths that are gonna feed that little seed of, of faith. You've got this tiny seed of hope. Feed that. Right? Don't let it go the other way. We need to take control, and he says, Preach to yourself the hoping in the Lord. So this is what we need to do then. We need to use the gospel to hope in God. 
We need to use gospel promises to water and feed the, the tiny bit of hope that is left until it grows. Do you remember in Pilgrim's Progress uh, by John Bunyan, there's a, a, a time very early in the book, Christian has just started out on his journey, and he falls into the slow of despond. Right? And, and the slow of despond, it's, it's this swamp, basically, and he begins to sink in the mire, and it's only with great difficulty that he's able to make any progress at all. And John Bunyan describes what makes up the slow. He says, there, a sin- there arises for a sinner in his soul many fears and doubts and discouraging apprehensions, which all get together and they settle in this place, and that is the reason for the badness of this ground. At the slow of despond is a vivid picture of just a downcast soul. A soul that has lost hope. That feels like it cannot make any progress because it's just in despair and it's sinking in the mire. But along comes a man whose name is Help. And he helps Christian get out of the slow and he pulls him out and he sets him on a solid ground and he says to Christian, why did you not look for the steps? There were steps out of the slow of despond. He says, why didn't you look for the steps? says there are certain good and substantial steps placed here to help a person out of this slow. And John Bunyan includes a footnote saying, the steps are the promises of forgiveness and acceptance to life by faith in Christ. He says those steps are gospel promises, and gospel promises can help you to get out of the slow of despond. Right? Not, not magically, but you preach these things. You tell them. You can... Troll the dialogue with your own heart. That's what we must do, is to preach this hope to our hearts. And so, you know, just for example, if you've lost hope because maybe your soul is condemning you, maybe it's because of sin, and you know, like, I, I share the blame for this despair. Well, Use Romans 8.1, right? Preach to your own heart. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Right? That you may feel despair because you know your sin and you know it as well as anybody, but God does not see it. There's no condemnation for you because you are not defined by your sin, you're defined by your union with Christ. That you are united by faith to him and when God looks at you, he sees the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ like a perfect robe that covers every blemish. We need to use these truths, right? We know them. Of course, we know gospel truths in our mind. We, we know this to be true, but how often do we use this to really buoy up our hearts in times of discouragement, in times of hopelessness? Uh, maybe, again, life circumstances are just difficult and they weigh you down. And you say, this is, this is not on me. I didn't bring this on myself. Life is just terrible right now. But again, go to the promises. Maybe Romans 8.18. Right? I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that shall be revealed in us. Maybe Romans 8.32. He who did not spare his only son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Or anything else that helps you, but the point is we take control of our inner monologue and say, heart, hope in God. He does not let us down. Right? We, we heard uh, Jeremiah in Lamentations. He's despairing, but then he says, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. 
Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Isn't that what he's doing? He's preaching to his own heart, saying, yes, I, I feel the despair. My, my hope has worn away. But I call certain gospel truths to mind, and they make a difference in my heart. And I do not despair, because I look not at the circumstances of life, but I look at the Lord. There was an old preacher, Richard Sibbs, uh, 17th century, and he wrote a book, 175 pages, on Psalm 42.5. A whole book on this one verse. And the book was called The Soul's Conflict with Itself. The Soul's Conflict with Itself. And in one of the, the parts where he's giving believers hope, and he's trying to teach how do you use gospel promises to preach to your heart, at one point he says this, as for those miseries which our weak nature is subject to, they are all under Christ. How much do we need to remember that? As for all of those miseries which our weak nature is subject to, and there are many, are there not? And our nature is weak, is it not? And we're subject to these miseries. He says, remember, all of them are under Christ. All of them are under Christ, which means the mercy of Christ is over them. God has a purpose, and, and he's not just striking us down with no intention to heal, but he cares for us. He loves his people. And he goes on, I mean, there's 175 pages of his encouragements to use with your own spirit, to argue with your own heart, to help you preach to your own soul the, the message that is titled, Hope in God. Look to him for your hope recognize and admit and repent of how easy it is for all of us to get our hopes set on the wrong thing, here, there, whatever, prone to wander. Lord, we feel it. And then say to your heart, hope in God. He neither slumbers nor sleeps. He cares for his children. He will never let us down. Isn't it good to be a believer? Let's pray together. Father, we know the feelings of this psalm. We pray that you would help us to, to use the strategy of this psalm. Take these words from verse 5, Lord, and press them on our hearts. Use them in our hearts. Lord, help us to follow, help us to believe, help us to hope in God. For Lord, you have never let your people down. Help us to trust. Our hearts are weary. Our hearts are often worn out, despairing and hopeless. Draw us to yourself, O Lord. Point the eyes of our hearts back towards Christ. We ask that you will do this, Lord. Press this text on our hearts. Use it for your glory. In Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.